0: Christian faith does have answers to some of life's most difficult questions. And his favorite line is this, Ask your hardest question since truth is not afraid of a question, but rather relishes it as an opportunity to share the strength of the Christian faith. He and his wife, Dana, live in Lakeland and are blessed with their three children, Catherine, Matthew, and Rachel. City Church, would you stand to your feet? Let's welcome Dr. Joe Davis. Come on. Come on. Um, is my, am I on? Okay, good, good, good. Thanks. All right, turn in your Bibles, if you to John 8, and we're going to look at verse 31 and 32. John 8, 31 and 32. And for those of you who have never heard the word apologetics before, the word apologetics means to give a reasoned defense for your faith or a logical answer. And so one of the things that I have my PhD in, or not the thing, the, the thing exactly, is to be able to handle or to look at some of the hardest questions that are out there. And you may think that there are questions that the Christian faith can't answer. Well, I'm going to disagree with you on that. So today, let's take a look at John 8:31 through 32. And here's how it reads to so the Jews who had believed in him. Jesus said, if you hold to my teachings, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth. And the truth will set you free. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you now and we thank you for the great opportunity that we have to hear from your word. And Lord, we pray that your Holy Spirit would come. would Come in your strength and your power. That you would lead us into all truth. Because Father, we do believe that the truth will set us free. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. Prove to me that there's a God, she said. I looked right at her and I thought I'd be more than happy to. And she said, you can't really prove such a thing. You're absolutely right. If you don't actually want to be open to the question, I probably can't prove to you that you exist. I can't prove to you that you're sitting on a chair. I can't prove to you anything. I don't doubt that. One bit, as a matter of fact, one of the things I like to do in doubt nights is I simply say this to people who say, prove to me that there's a God. I usually say, prove to me that you're, you're existing. Prove to me that you're not a figment of my imagination. Prove to me that you're not a computer chip in my brain. Prove to me that you actually have some validity. The truth of the matter is, I'll give you $100 on Wednesday night if you can prove such a thing, that you actually exist. I don't think you do. I think that you've been created through a computer stimulation or simulation for my enjoyment. And that is your existence. Well, the simple truth of the matter is you can't actually prove anything to anybody who doesn't want to believe it because you have the problem of how do we get outside of our own brain? Simple truth of the matter is you're not going to actually be able to prove anything. But if you want to open yourself up to the possibility that some things are actually true and believable and make good sense, then let's talk about God. And I'm going to tell you that not only can we prove that there's a God to a person who actually has an open mind or, frankly, wants to talk reasonable, I will say it this way. I can destroy any system of thought that you believe in within five seconds. I'm sorry. Three. As a matter of fact, one of the reasons that I'm a Christian is the only thing that I think actually stands the test of intellectual rigor is... Christianity, it's the only religion where we have both, both transcendence and immanence, meaning that there's a God above us and that there's something that is beyond us and that there's a reason for living. I don't think that you can have the M&Ms if you don't believe in God. What are the M&Ms? I don't think you can have meaning, morality, or make sense of matter. So let's talk. Prove to me that there's a God. Here's how I'd like to prove it. Number one, I'm going to say if you believe in God, I can actually live better than the person who doesn't. In other words, I can show you scientifically, objectively, of the studies that we have done that people who believe in God are happier and live longer. That's not a question of belief. That's something that, frankly, we can show objectively. It's not up for question. Those who've read the studies are well aware of it. Number two, I can show you that I can die better. People who believe in God must have a leg up on things when it comes to death itself. We'll talk about that. Number three, I'm going to say that there's good evidence not only that I can die better, but there's something after I die. And here I'm not talking just belief, I'm talking some science also. You may say people who are scientists don't believe in God. Richard Dawkins says that in his book, The Blind Watchmaker, and I, or The God Delusion, excuse me, and I'm going to tell you he actually fudges the data. The statistics show, according to the National Academy of Science, 40% of people believe in God, 40% do not believe in God, who are scientists in National Academy of Science, and the rest of them aren't sure. What's that mean? I don't know if Richard can actually do the math, but 40 and 40 is uh, equal. It's not, uh, how shall we say, less. Now, what does Richard say? Why does he get that statistic? He gets it from saying that there's only 8% in the book God Delusion, and he gets it from saying, is there a personal God? We'll talk about that on Wednesday night. Why is it so many scientists believe that there is a God but not a personal God? I'm going to say that doesn't really make sense, in all honesty. We'll explain that on Wednesday night. But if there's a God, I'm trying to think why he would create all of this with no reason. I'm going to simply say it this way. If there is a God, it's probably true that there's a reason and a purpose for all that's going on here. Why? You may not know this, but if the universe and its expansion had have just deviated one one millionth in either the timing or the expansion, you would not be here. Let me say that again, just in case you didn't hear it. One one millionth. In the expansion of the universe, when it's expanding, if it's off by one one millionth, you would not be here. As a matter of fact, the number of things that have to come together for you to actually exist and breathe. How many of you are breathing right now? Raise your hand. Very good. The rest of you will now you, you experience that what we call after life experience if you stop breathing. But I'm going to tell you that the simple truth of the matter is the mathematical number on having that breath is 10 to the 53rd power. Number words, the number of things that have to come together in order for you to actually breathe is 10 to the 53rd power. For those of you not good in math, that's not 10 plus 10. That's 10 times 10. So that's where we begin. It's not 10 plus 10 is 20. It's 10 times 10 is 100. And then you keep multiplying until you get 10 times 10 times 10 times 10 times 10 times 10. Okay, you get the idea. That's a lot of 10s. And that's the number of things that have to come together at any one moment in order for you to live. That's a lot of order. That's a whole lot of things coming together all at once. Now, you may say to me, but Dr. Davis, there are questions. I don't doubt that. And that's why I like to go around and talk about those questions. So are there good reasons to believe in God? I'm going to say there's great reasons. And one of the things that I like to do is push people to the logical conclusion of their thinking. Even if they're not a believer in God, I want to push you to the logical conclusion of what you believe because I'm absolutely convinced that you can't hold your ground intellectually. Now, that's sort of bold and audacious to say, isn't it? Yes, it is. But I'm going to tell you I believe it without question. And I'm going to be happy to talk about it Wednesday night and allow you to ask the most hard and threatening questions that you can imagine. Because not only do I want to talk about it, I want to show you the intellectual superiority of our faith. Now, is our faith mainly brains? No, it's not. It's also the heart. But most people emphasize the heart as opposed to the head. And the way that I'm looking at the body, the heart, and head are actually part of God's creation. As a matter of fact, I think I have scriptural reference for that. Jesus says, you shall worship the Lord thy God with all of thy heart, with all of thy mind, soul, and strength. Does he include your mind in that worship? Yes, he does. And so one of the things that we're going to do today is not only we worship the Lord with our heart, and we're going to worship him with our mind. So how can I prove that there's a God? First, we already admit that you can't prove anything to anybody who doesn't want to believe it. But if you have an open mind, here's my three number one reasons. Here we go. Number one, I can live better. What do I mean by I can live better? First, I can live longer. What do we mean by that? And let's go ahead and throw that up on the screen if we have it. Duke University did a study on longevity. No, so I'm not saying Southeastern University or Wheaton College. I'm saying Duke University, Duke University, one of the greatest medical centers in the world, not prone to wild and crazy statements backing religion. What did they say? They say if you believe in a monotheistic God, go to church and have some form of devotional life. You're going to live on average seven years longer. Now, this isn't just as what I believe. We've done the study on it. Harold Kearney, K-O-E-N-I-G, did the study. Study. He's done a number of books on this. He's a medical doctor at Duke University. This study is on longevity. And the study says that on average, the person who believes in God lives seven years longer. So the very first thing I'm going to say is, if you believe in God, you're going to just live longer. Why? Because we believe that, in fact, your brain has something to do with your overall health. Again, it's in the same body, so maybe there's a good chance of that. Now, Dr. Michael Gazanga, who is actually the world's leading neuroscientist, says this. The brain actually seems wired for belief. Now, Michael Gazanga is not a Christian, by the way, in spite of the fact that he's not a Christian. And frankly, I'm sort of glad he's not a Christian, because if it was a Christian, you'd say, well, it's just because they believe no, he doesn't, he doesn't actually believe it. What he believes is, you know, it's just, be, it's just a placebo effect. That, and just because people believe it, that that's why it occurs. Well, here's my first point. They're still living longer, aren't they? Okay? I'll take my seven years to the bank. Okay? And the second thing I'm going to say, maybe it might be that we're created that way, that we're creating the image and likeness of God. And as a result of that, it actually works better when you believe. What we know is that your body, your mind, your brain actually works better. Better when you believe. We've done studies on addicts. We know that if you believe in God, so far as addiction is concerned, you're eight times more likely to get clean than if you don't. But it's not just addiction. It's also every single person's longevity. By the way, you may think, well, it's because Christians don't like smoke and drink and do all those things. Nope. We took all those people out of the study because we know that if you overeat, if you smoke a lot, and if you drink a lot, you're going to die sooner than anybody. So they weren't allowed to be in the study. So who did we study? We studied healthy people versus healthy And the result was healthy people live seven years longer if they believe in God. If you throw in all the people who are drinking themselves, I'm going to bet that actually those statistics go up a little bit. Next one. Now, next slide, if we would. Second thing that I'm going to tell you is researchers at Yale University say deriving strength from religion was the strongest survival predictor of all the variables they studied. They studied big three, the ones that they looked at. And I'm going to tell you, Yale University did a study that says bottom line is, if we're going to look at how long you're going to live. The bottom line is, we think religion's your best shot. Now, again, this is Yale. I mean, granted, they're written to wild religious statements all the time. Next slide. We find that prayer actually does a lot of things for you. Howard, uh, excuse me, Herbert Beeson of Harvard, again, one of those wild, crazy religious schools. So that we find that praying actually lowers your blood rate, lowers hypertension, helps you to be heart healthy. As a matter of fact, we also did studies of your brain when we're praying. We, We. that what occurs is there's a calming influence in your brain when you pray. So that, so that what occurs is that when you're praying, your brain actually begins to slow down in the good sense, in the sense of rest and relaxation to the degree that you derive some healthy benefits as a result of praying. Next slide. Those who believe in God have a much lower depression rate. How, what what rate? Here's the study. And again, Karenig is in on this study religious coping and health status in medically ill hospitalized older adults what we found is of those studied 50% had a lower depression rate so here's what i want to tell you 50%s a lot when people get to the end of their life they begin to do what we call life review and what we find is that people who believe in god like life a whole lot more than people who don't They believe that their life has purpose. They believe that their life has meaning. And I'm going to tell you, that makes perfect sense. My job is to analyze systems of thought. And one of the things that amazes me is that people sort of sneer at religion and say, oh, well, you know, educated people don't believe such a... Well, I'm a PhD. I do. And a lot of the people who are educated actually are believing some of these things. It's just that you're not hearing about it. As a matter of fact, I remember a conversation I had on a plane with a chemist. I was reading a book on Jesus. And I know that doesn't seem intellectual, does it? I think he's actually pretty intellectual because I don't know of anybody who ever changed the world as much as him. So I'm sort of thinking, actually, he did a pretty neat job. I'd like to imitate him. And so I'm reading this book on Jesus, and this guy next to me goes, what are you reading? And I said, I'm reading a book on God. He sort of looked at me and he said, I'm a scientist. And at that moment, I wasn't sure if I was supposed to bow or something, you know, it's like, (laughs) great, wonderful. And he said, "Uh, so you believe in God? I said, yeah, yeah, I do. Now I did not tell him that I was a PhD. I thought I'd have a little, little fun. And I didn't tell him that my PhD is actually in analyzing systems of thought. And so I said, uh, so uh, you ever heard of the cosmological constant? I said to him. Now, for those of you who are not familiar with science, cosmological constant means the number of things that are constant in the universe in order for you to actually exist. There's certain cosmological constants that have to be there. For example, there's a bunch of them. Let's just take for an example a constant that has to be water. You need water to exist. We have a certain configuration chemically. It's called H2O. You see, uh, that 2 in there means something. It means it's always got to be two. And if it stops being two, it's one or three, you don't get water. As a matter of fact, I was talking to my daughter who was a pre-med major, and she graduated, she said, Dad, H3O is one of our nastiest acids. So you just just miss it a little bit. Instead of sucking down some water, you're burning your esophagus. (laughs) So I said, "Uh, you ever heard of the cosmological constant? He goes, he smiled. He goes, yes, I have. And I said, what do you think about things that are in order? I said, you're a chemist. I said, you know that chart you have, you know, you have to learn when you take chemistry. I said, is that a changing chart? Or does that actually remain the same, like throughout the rest of creation? I said, or is it like every day you wake up and say, ah, ah, carbon is different today. He goes, "No, it's the same. I said, so let me ask you a really deep question here. You believe in order? And he smiled and he said, yes, I do. I said, that's what I thought. I said, so when you said you were a scientist, what you were trying to say to me is that you believe in God. And he smiled and he said, well, yes, as a matter of fact, I do. And then he looked at me and he said, but I don't believe that, I don't believe that God cares about us. So it's very sad. So that must be a very depressing thought. But all of this happens for no reason at all. I'm going to tell you something. And I know that our time is short. Because we're just about ready to land. And I said, I'm going to tell you something. I, and I just want you to think about it. It is illogical that a purposeful act of creation would lack purpose. So let me say that one more time. It is illogical that a purposeful act of creation would lack purpose. If you believe that there's a creator of God, if you believe that this was all something more than accident, I'm going to very simply say to you that it is illogical that a purposeful act lacks Purpose, because in the fact that God creates purposely, that would mean that there is purpose. And if God is under no compulsion to create, and no one sticks a gun to God's head, then that would mean that there is a purpose in creation. So if there is creation, I'm going to say there has to be purpose. And he said, well, about all the suffering in the world. I said, first of all, I don't know that you or I are God and understand all things. I said, but the fact that there's order in the universe would seem to indicate that there's some order to the universe. Wouldn't you say? And he said, yes, I, I do believe that. I said, the question is, do you understand it? And I said, here's where you and I differ. I believe that even when I don't understand, God does. And I believe that the most rational thing to do is to believe that order is a sign of order. And I think that's an ordered statement. He said, makes perfect sense. I said, you're right. I said, the fact that it doesn't have personal application to your understanding doesn't mean it's not true. I said, so, what do you believe? And he looked at me and he said, I wish this plane wasn't landing. I would love to tell you my story. I wish so too. But sometimes God plants a seed and other times it's watered. We live longer if you believe in God. We have less depression. The studies done at the hospital say this, those who believe in God have less reoccurrence of illness. Do not stay as long in the hospital and have better recovery rates in every area that we can measure. So I'm just going to simply tell you that that even if you don't believe in God, it's probably healthy to believe in God. Well, I can live better and longer. You say, well, that's a subjective statement. I can live better. Well, I think I can actually prove it logically. Oh, I'm sorry. That was an accident. Well, not really, I did that on purpose. But I want you to think about that. What do people mean when they say accident? Well, here's what I think it means. When I would say to my wife or to my children, oh, that was an accident, what that means is there's, there isn't anything behind the event. There's no reason to look any further because an accident means a random happening which has no meaning. So if in fact, I really did knock this over by accident. My, my explanation would be, all there is is a random event. There, it wasn't like I meant to. Now, in this case, I meant to to make a point. But if, in fact, it really was an accident, accident would be a random event with no meaning. Here's my point. That's your life. So you want to tell me that you're going to have the same outlook on life as I do because I believe there's meaning and you believe in accident? No, that's not logical. Let's talk logic. An accident is a meaningless event, meaning that if your life is an accident, you are a meaningless event by definition. I don't really have to believe in God to even know that. I can simply tell you logically 2 plus 2 equals 4. And so if you are a meaningless existence and all there is is matter in the universe, there's nothing behind it whatsoever. The simple truth of the matter is, the problem with matter is, it doesn't matter. And there's no way to get around that. For example, you may say to me, well, my life has meaning. Well, you can talk to the stones and the hills and the grass all you want. You say, I have meaning. I have meaning. Except it's not listening. The universe doesn't care unless there's something behind the universe. And so if you want to actually get me to believe that a person who doesn't believe in God has a better mental outlook, I want to to know how you can believe that there's purpose and meaning in life. Well, I have purpose in doing this and doing that. No one cares. The universe for sure doesn't. You say, well, my kids care my wife cares. The universe doesn't. And maybe they only care because you're helping them. Now, I'm not trying to say people do things only through selfish motives But even selflessness doesn't make any sense. If, in fact, all this planet is is the survival of the fittest, the way that I see it is, might makes right. I think that's the way that goes, doesn't it? The strong survive. So the only reason I would help is if it helps me. Morality that begins with me must logically and necessarily end with me. Anything else is a misunderstanding. I can live better. Because I believe my life has meaning and purpose. I can die better. And sometimes you'll never know how what you really believe until you come to that moment of death. To that moment where you face your mortality. All of us should live as if it could occur because one day you'll be right. I remember a time that happened in my life. And again, just a, a point about Christianity in and of itself. The church that I was a part of, we set up medical missions in Nigeria. 6,000 people had never seen a doctor before, came to medical clinics for free medicine and free medical help. At the nighttime, we, te- we did took care of their souls. We did evangelistic crusades. And we got up early in the morning and we stayed there till the wee hours of the morning, Because we were trying to tell people that God loves them. I've heard a lot of people say, well, what does Christianity do? You know, outside the Crusades, they haven't done yet. Well, no. Ever heard of hospitals? You see, actually, you may not know this, but the hospital movement was a Christian origin movement. Ever heard of Nursing. Yeah, actually the person who started the nursing program was a christian and her first advertisement for females to come during the civil war To help out and attend the doctor said this only christian women should apply The rest of you can't handle it It was set up specifically as a christian organization Ever heard of the red cross? There's a reason there's a cross on there Ever heard of the salvation army? What do you mean we're not doing anything? Jesus says, you're the salt of the earth. Without you, the earth would lose its flavor. As a matter of fact, you may not know this, and I'm not trying to say Charles Darwin is a Christian because I actually don't believe it. But Charles Darwin actually supported a local temperance Christian movement with his funds. He was purely pragmatic. He said that the Christians help people more and do a better job of it, even though he didn't believe it. And so he gave his money towards it. We were in Nigeria setting up clinics and on the way home one evening. It was about 1 a.m., maybe 2. I was half asleep, I had my eyes closed and we were traveling down what they called was a road. I don't know why they called it that, but that's what they called it. And as we were driving along, I felt the jeep slow down. I looked up. There were about 10 men standing in the middle of the road with machine guns, rifles, and machetes. At 1 a.m. in the morning, in the middle of the jungle, when you meet people with rifles and machetes, this is generally not your day. As we pulled up, and they told us to stop, and and that's what you do when people have rifles. You do that. People on the sides of the embankment stood up too. The doctor who was with me looked at me and he said, what do you think is going to happen? I said, best-case scenario is we get robbed. Worst-case scenario is we die. All of a sudden, the driver began to angrily talk to the men. I didn't understand the language, so I didn't know what they were saying, but uh, generally, people who get angry with guns is not a good thing. And then an old man walked up and went like this. And he goes, And what I later learned through the interpreter was, they were arguing about what to do with us, and the old man said, we cannot kill them because a curse will come down on us because one of the men in the van or the the jeep was actually from the village close by, and they said, a curse will come down on us if we kill them because there's a man of the village here. At that point, I, I felt it was not proper to argue theology. And we moved on. But I want to tell you something glorious that happened at that moment. I face death. Is it glorious? Yeah. Because at that moment, I did what's called life review. And I said, have I lived a good life? And the answer that I came up with is, yeah. I'm living for Jesus. I'm living for something greater than myself. I'm out here trying to help people. And I'm serving the God of all creation. If I got to go, boy, that's how I want to go. I want to go serving the God of all creation. And the great mathematician Blaise Pascal, which, by the way, I don't know if you know this, how many of you got a computer or have ever worked on a computer in here? Raise your hand. The man behind the math in your computer is a few hundred years old. You may not know that. His name is Blaise Pascal. Those of you who took algebra may have taken his name in vain. A brilliant mathematician. Maybe one of the smartest men ever born. Your computer uses Pascalian math. He said, smartest thing to do is to believe that there's a God. Because even if I'm wrong, I'll never know the difference. Okay? The worst thing that happens to me is I live my life full of purpose and meaning. What a horrible thing. And he says, but for the atheists, the absolute best thing that can happen to them is that they live in smug self-assurance having skepticism as their guide and as their fruit and as the love of their life, meaning that all that they can do is have a cancerous growth in them, eating away at meaning and life. The simple truth of the matter that doesn't actually prove God, but what it does prove is that people who believe in God can live a happier life here, and we know that already based on the statistics and the studies that we've shown. When you come to death, that's the moment that you say, Have I lived life fully? Jesus says, Whoever shall keep his life shall lose it. But if you really want to live, if you really want to live, you must give your life to Jesus. Because he's the creator of it. And just think this through again logically if there's a creator of life, wouldn't it make sense? To have that power be the source of it. Yes. And so when people were going down on the Titanic, there was a group of musicians that were Methodists. The first group of holy rollers, you may not know this, were actually Methodists. And they said to them, don't you want to get in the boat? And they said, no, we're going to continue to play. And they began to play some hymns as the boat was going down. And they implored them. They said, you've got to get on the boat or you're going to die. And then they said these beautiful words. We know how to die better than you. And so we will play. And you, you can be saved. Because we've been saved already from death itself. Now, I added those last two lines on it, but I think that's what it means. And so the last thing I want to tell you is that not only is there a good belief to live for Christ now, good, wise belief, strong belief, but I'm going to tell you there's good scientific evidence that there's more to life than just here. How do we know that? It's called Near-Death Experience NDE, and we've been studying it for a long time. And what we have found is that the explanations that are coming from materialistic view of science, meaning a matter-only view, believing that there's not a soul and that your brain is the sole location of everything, the simple truth of the matter is they're having a really hard time explaining what's called near-death experience because people are coming back after near-death experience and explaining what happened. And so the question is, how do they know what's happening if, in fact, they've died? Now, for those of you who aren't really up on the medical science of this and how your brain works, let me explain it to you. How many of you have something electrical in your home? Raise your hand. Okay. The rest of you, I assume, are Amish. (laughs) Now, think this through. If you have a toaster and you unplug it, can you get any heat out of that toaster? How about your microwave? You unplug that baby, and are you able to put anything in and warm it up? If you unplug your computer, how's those little keys working for you? Not very well. So here's the point. If there's no electrical current going through that mechanism, it doesn't work. When you die, there's different forms of death. Your heart may stop and you're not. You may not know this. You're not clinically dead until we can't stop it again, start it again. But one of the better ways and more interesting ways to clear you dead is to say you have brain death. And even then, there's different levels of brain death. But when we say you have no electrical currents going through your brain, you're dead as a doornail. You're dead. But here's what's confusing. Even people who have no electrical currents going through their brain, after they die, they have recognition of things that occurred after they've been clinically pronounced dead, and there's no electrical currents going through their brain at all. Have we documented it? You betcha, baby. We've documented it. And Pam Reynolds is one of them. She was put into a coma for the purpose of of removing an aneurysm in her brain. And what occurred is she died on the table. They're watching her brain, no electrical impulses. She says her spirit came out of her body. She viewed the operation to the degree that she could describe the instruments on the table that were being used and what they did after they pronounced her dead with no electrical impulses going through her brain. Look it up. so the question is, how can this occur? How can it be? And we also have a lady, Vicky Umbug, who was blind and after she dies, recaptures her sight with no electrical impulses going through her brain. Evolutionary biology says this, your brain creates a scenario in which it's more easy to die. First, my first thought on that, wouldn't death be the opposite of survival? I'm sort of thinking that doesn't work. Why would your brain helping you die, help you survive? Well, maybe the species gets better. Now I'm thinking if you're dead, you're dead. I'm thinking you really don't help the species a whole lot being dead. I don't know. Just a wild thought there. But the truth of the matter is, our best research has a very hard time explaining how people know things when there's no electrical you know, impulses going through their brain. I was with a lady in my church one time. I remember the first time I actually talked to somebody who had had this experience in detail she brought me over for a dinner and it was a wonderful dinner she was a great cook I didn't know what she was up to and she said pastor I have a request for you I said what is it she goes I want you to make sure that no one revives me if I die her name was Ann I said "Anne, are you de- depressed and she said no I'm not depressed and I said well generally most people who don't want to live are depressed and she goes, I know something that you don't. I think people like telling PhDs that. I said, well, what is it, Ann? She said, when I was 34 years old, I died during a gallbladder operation that went bad. And she goes, I'm 80 now, and I've lived a good life, and I'm ready to go. I said, are you sick? She goes, no. I just want to make sure that those rotten kids of mine don't keep me alive any longer And I have to be alive. And I said, back up a second. Let's, you said you died on the operating table? She goes, oh, yeah. She said, I went to see Jesus. I said, really? She goes, yeah. And like nothing that I've ever experienced. I said, Ann, what happened? And she said, well, Jesus looked at me. And he said, Ann, are you ready? And she said, no, Lord, I, I have two small children. Their father has deserted us and I'm the only person that can raise them. please, let me go back and raise my children. Jesus looked at her and he said, Are you sure? And she said, Yes, Lord. And she said, At the moment that I said yes, Lord, I felt the defibrillator on my heart and the electrical current go through my heart. And at that very moment, my spirit re entered my body she said to me, I've seen him, I know what it's like, and when you see him, nothing on this earth will compare. I'm glad I was able to come back and raise my children. don't know where you are in your life. I want to tell you, believing in God is the most rational, the smartest, most sensible thing that you can do. And I want to encourage not just to live halfway. But what if Jesus was right? That everything here. Is a preparation for eternity. Today, I want you to pray. If you've never accepted Christ, to ask Him to come into your heart. If you've grown weary today, to grab hold of the strength. That he's placed within you. And to continue your journey. Because one day we will see him. Face. For those who don't know you, I pray that tonight now they would invite you into their heart. The reason for living would be clear. They would place their faith and hope in you. And for those who are weary, strengthen them. Speak through their heart. Let them know that it's worth it. In just a little while. We too we'll reach the finish line. Oh God, help us to see clearly. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Dr. Davis. Can you give him a hand this morning?